Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Fenway Rundown, Mass Lives Red Sox podcast. I'm Chris Cotillo. Sean McAdam will be alongside in a second. Busy week for the Red Sox, as always. Chris Sale, the news of the day, the news of the week, getting shut down at least temporarily due to shoulder soreness, left his start Thursday night against the Reds because his shoulder was barking, the velocity was down. Anybody who saw it should be concerned. Sean and I recorded this uh, earlier today on the Friday, June 2nd, before Sale spoke to the media at Fenway. Luckily, he did not really say much or really say anything um, about his condition, about his expectations. He said, you know, we got to give this five to seven days before we really dig in and, and know the diagnosis. So they're still reading the MRI, the CAT scan, all that type of stuff and doing testing, seeing, seeing how the shoulder bounces back in the next few days. Obviously, any time that Chris Sale misses in 2023, it's going to be a colossal loss for the Red Sox. He's pitched really well. The rotation, once again, suddenly in shambles been a group that's underperformed all season we heard brian o'haller and the general manager tell us that the other day on this very show so sean and i coming to you now with you know thoughts on sale some thoughts on some other things and previewing uh which should be a busy weekend and, and also next week once the red sox go to cleveland and new york chris Catillo here with sean mcadam uh we have no great big impressive guest for you today we did last time we will next time but unfortunately you're stuck with just uh the two of us on a very, very busy Friday in the world of the Boston Red Sox. As we sit here, Sean, we don't have much information. Uh, neither of us went to the ballpark today. That's not why we don't have much information, but they don't have much information to provide anyone. Chris Sale went out yesterday, last night with a sore shoulder, having an MRI today. They're waiting to read that MRI from our trusty Chris Smith, who's at the ballpark. Seems like he's going to miss at least one start. They're waiting for more. They're not going to say you know, ever a timetable, but they're kind of just taking it day by day, or at this case, you know, hour by hour as they unload, you know, this MRI. So what would you say your level of concern is that Chris Sale's shoulder injury is a significant one? Um, and just kind of your thoughts on what's transpired here in the last 24. Well, I'm sort of torn, Chris, because we can look at other instances fairly recently on this very roster with some shoulder issues that did not appear to be major. Chris Martin, that's a guy with a lot of miles on him. He's older than Sale is, even though he hasn't thrown the number of innings as a reliever and as a guy who, you know, really didn't get to the big leagues until late in his career. So maybe not as much mileage on that uh, Chris Martin odometer, but still the fact that he took off for a few weeks, uh, went through a shoulder program, rested, came back and has been as dominant as any reliever really in the American League in the last couple of weeks, uh, did give up the tying run. Uh, last night or, or on Thursday night, but that was uh, hardly indicative of a, of a bad outing. 
uh, he's been excellent. So the the path is there to see perhaps Sale just needing some downtime, uh, some rest, uh, some some strengthening exercises to build up the shoulder muscles around the rotator cup. We, we, we really don't know. And that's why it's kind of dangerous to speculate here. Uh, it, it, it could have a wide range of outcome. This could be significant. There could be labrum issues, or it could just be tendonitis, inflammation of the shoulder and that a arm. few weeks down, maybe not even that long and he's back. But because this is Chris sale and his importance to this team and his injury history, you have to be at least moderately concerned that I thought we saw that express Thursday night from Alex Cora. For sure. Alex Cora asked last night about it. Uh, what is your level of concern? He just said, we'll see. And that's, I mean, the kind of the best way to answer it because they, they really don't know the answers. They don't have the answers and they still don't. Um, as we sit here recording this a couple hours before first pitch on Friday, obviously the velocity went down yesterday. He was very effective early struck out six of the first eight. He faced velocity came down. There was a couple pitches that were not even 90 miles an hour. Dead arm is something that happens to, I think, a lot of guys throughout the season, throughout spring training. I think when you look at what happened to Martin, like you were talking about, maybe that was kind of a similar thing. There's different ways to call it. That's the best case scenario. But obviously, like you said, this is a guy they're going to be very, very careful with, probably more careful than most. They know how you know good he has been in the past and really how good he's been over the last seven outings. And um I think that's what makes this so tough, right? You're not losing like this middling version of Chris Sale if you lose him. You're, you're losing a guy who has really reemerged as your ace. Yeah, he's clearly been their best starter, which sounds like a, a backhanded compliment given how iffy the rest of the rotation has been with its performance. But this was, if not vintage Chris Sale and looking like the pitcher who was among the dominant starters in the game there for a period from say 2014 through, you know, parts of 2018. Um, I don't know if I want to say he was back at that level, but he was close and he was clearly uh, trending in the right direction. The ERA was under three over the last seven starts. His strikeout to walk ratio was ridiculous. You know, whatever it was, 44 to seven or something like that. Um, you, you saw the, you know, the mid nineties fastball, the bite back on the slider, the change up, getting lots of swing and miss. Uh, there was a lot to be encouraged about. And now, uh, until we know otherwise, there's a lot to be concerned about. And if you're the Red Sox, you're hoping that this is just something temporary. It could well be, as you suggest, just a dead arm because he has pitched so little over the last two seasons, you know, two starts last year. And when I say two, I mean, one five inning start and then two batters in the next one. So that hardly counts. And maybe it's just a matter of, you know, the shoulder needing some rest and building up again. But if it's more uh, significant, then that is a big blow to that rotation and by extension, the team. And we'll talk about that again, dangerous to speculate. We don't have the answers. So, but it is our job to look at the potential impacts and the effects of this, the rotation, has undergone a lot of change, you know, so far this season, obviously in the last couple of weeks, Nick Pavetta, Corey Kluber, as we've discussed a lot on here, going to the bullpen, we've seen obviously Garrett Whitlock come back, look good in his first start. Uh, we're, we're taping this right before he's going to pitch tonight at Fenway against the Rays. Bayo was uneven last time out, but has been pretty good. 
Paxton to me is a guy who's been very, very impressive so far. I know he had the bad, bad start in Anaheim, but the stuff looks amazing. 22 swings and misses the other night. It's the most by a Red Sox pitcher since a Chris Sale outing in 2019. That is such an important stat because it tells you, you know, how effective the stuff is, the feedback from the hitters, all of that against a team in the Reds that does not swing and miss very often. Um, Hauk, they seem to be giving him kind of a long leash at the back end of that rotation. We'll see him again in game one of the doubleheader Saturday. Um, and then obviously we've seen what sale has done. If sales going to miss some time, who do you think takes the spot? Obviously there's some obvious options and Corey Kluber, Nick Pavetta. I'm going to go outside the box with my answer, but I'll let you let you get to it first. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to guess that you're leaning toward Cutter Crawford, which I would am, be yeah. in, in my mind, the best choice here, but I don't know if they're going to bypass uh, either Kluber or Pavetta uh, Pavetta let's face it, looked good on Thursday night. He was explosive mm -hmm. with his fastball, uh, kind of the sort of results I think they hoped for in the bullpen with shorter stints. And he struck out the side. He was pitching with energy, with emotion, which is what you see from him when he's doing well. But the amazing thing, Chris, is that this team is nominally in playoff contention, four games out of the third wild card spot, two games over 500, nothing to throw a parade about, but certainly I think better than some people expected, you know, 10 or 10 games or two weeks into the season. They, they do have a winning record in the toughest division in the game. And yet somehow they are two games over 500 and on the, the, the outskirts, uh, if you will, of the playoff chase, despite being 26th in starter ERA at 5.24. Usually, you, and that you number's don't get come away down in the last couple of weeks. Right. Uh, it, usually, you don't get away with that. Uh, and, and while they're a good offensive team, that they're not a great offensive team. We know they're not a great defensive team. And the bullpen has had its issues of late with some uh, with some concern over Kenley Jansen in the closer spot. Uh, the other night, you had Winkowski and Crawford slip up and let a two-run lead get away in the sixth and seventh innings. In general, the bullpen's been pretty good. But you kind of wonder, how are they over 500 with so many issues? And, and in particular, you know, how does a team get to be a quasi-contender while they're, you know, while their starters are are averaging five and a quarter runs allowed per nine innings, uh, it it defies logic. And obviously, if the recent version of Chris Sale is unavailable to them for any period of time, that's going to be one more hit. I don't care who it is, whether it's Crawford, Kluber, uh, Pavetta, anybody else stepping in. It's highly unlikely, if not impossible, to imagine that any of them is going to perform the way that Chris Sale has over the last five weeks. Pavetta out of the bullpen, his last seven innings, this came from Justin Long, Red Sox notes on Twitter, zero runs, nine strikeouts, no walks, and hitters are three for 24 against him. I mean, the stuff has played, at least in his last few outings there. I mean, obviously, these are guys who have not been in the bullpen long, so they're probably still stretched out in Pavetta and Kluber. But to me, Kluber, has he even pitched out of the bullpen yet? Maybe once, uh, once on the West Coast trip, yes. the paternity leave now for a few days. So, um, you know that's that's taken some time. Like to me, it's just kind of a tough sell to just put him back in the rotation after how bad he was, and no adjustments have been made with right, Pavetta. Right. It's you, a, you haven't seen evidence that he's figured things out out yeah. there. He hasn't he hasn't pitched a lot, 
And in fact, he's not pitched at all because of circumstance and then the paternity leave. So to turn back to him and say, well, you're the guy that we're going to give the ball to every five days. I, I, I find it hard to believe they would do that. Pavetta has at least responded to the challenge of pitching in relief. The question is whether he can take that same stuff into a starter's role. It's a lot easier to be firing 96 plus when you know you can air it out because you're only asked to get three, four or five outs as he's been, uh, as he's been doing. I, I'm with you. I think Crawford is the better choice. Um, but obviously we're getting a little ahead of ourselves there. Yeah. One of the Red Sox official earlier in the year described Crawford to me as one of our best pitchers. They think that he's proven that out of the bullpen so far. He's been really good. Um, you know, the command was spotted the other night. I think his ankle probably is still a little sore from that comeback or in Arizona, but I would not be surprised at all if he is the guy that goes to the rotation. If Chris Sale misses, you know, at least one start, there's going to be some weird stuff going on with the rotation. They got to figure out, you know, who, um, is going to pitch the Saturday second game, all that stuff and figure out here over the next week in Cleveland, in New York. And, and it doesn't come at a good time. Not that it ever does to leave, to lose a pitcher of sales caliber, but you've got four games in three days with a very good Tampa Bay Rays team. And you may not look at that lineup and think of it as any sort of juggernaut, but they always overperform. They always figure out how to, put the ball in play, advance runners, keep the line moving, and score runs. Cleveland is a mediocre offensive team who they're going to face in the middle of next week. But looming in the not-too-distant future are three games with the Yankees. And, uh, you know, that's got to put the fear of God into the Red Sox, going into that ballpark with that lineup as they get Stanton back, as they get Donaldson back, as Judge is on a tear. Uh, you do not want to have starting pitching shortages going into that stadium facing that lineup. Yeah, and obviously there's no breaks in the balance schedule. We've seen that all year, but not a particularly bad time. And, um, you know, they start this series now with the tax bullpen after, you know, say I was you know, not able to make it out of the fourth inning last night. They used a lot of guys, including a guy who never mentioned on the show before, but has been pretty good in Dustin Garza. So we'll give him his flowers for, for uh, two seconds here. We'll obviously um, be covering every aspect of this Chris Sale situation on the site, on the pod and everything. Um, again, Chris Smith there tonight. I'll be there. Uh, both Smith and I will be there on Saturday and, and throughout the weekend before Chris goes to Cleveland. Sean goes to New York next week. Um, so plenty of coverage on that. We just, again, don't have all the answers as we, as we tape this right now. We'll move on to a different topic, one that you wrote about earlier in the week. Infield defense, Kike Hernandez, how the infield is going to get reshuffled in the next few weeks. There's a lot of guys coming back. Adam Duvall. In center field, Christian Arroyo, Yu Chang, a lot of different things to be worked out over the next uh, week, 10 days. Duvall targeting a week from today in New York. Seems like Yu Chang still shut down, so he probably will be behind that. Arroyo probably middle of next week. Feels like that could be right, you know, if the rehab goes well. Um, Alex Cora with, I think, one of his most blunt comments that I can remember five years and six seasons now covering this team. We are not a good defensive team. You know, the numbers don't lie seemed like he was specifically trying to call out the group, uh, trying to get them to be better. The numbers, they don't lie. Kike Hernandez, league leading 11 errors at shortstop. Valdez has been bad at second. Casas has not been good at first, all the defensive metrics, obviously. You can hide it a little bit more over there with the first baseman. You know, Yoshida probably below average and left. They do have some good defenders on the team. Um, you know, I think Verdugo's taken a step forward in a lot of aspects. And Wong has been one of the best defensive players in baseball behind the plate. You know, Devers, you know, about average at third, probably. But 
as a group, you know, a 29th in, in defensive run saved heading into, uh, I think, last night or, or t- two days ago. How do they fix this? Is it just a wait for Trevor Story thing? Is it put Yu Chang at shortstop? If you're managing or if you're Heim Bloom or Alex Gore, how do you fix this issue right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure there is an easy fix, Chris, and that's part of the problem. And part of what I wrote the other day is that I think in a best case scenario, and that is um, underlying best case, you get Trevor Story back after the All-Star break. I still think it's more likely it's closer to August 1st. That's nearly two months away. Uh, It's possible, as I said, that he responds well, um, that he heals quickly, that he adapts to his rehab and gets back into baseball activities fairly quickly. And maybe he's there when they come out of the break. I think it's more likely, as I said, that it's the end of July rather than the middle. But even six weeks away, looks like a long bridge to have to traverse for the Red Sox infield defense, because there aren't a lot of other options. You know, Arroyo's coming back, but he's not a major league shortstop. He's not somebody that you can entrust with that position. He's played it. You could get away with having him there for a game or two, or if something happens in game and you have to move over, uh, move Arroyo over to play and fill the rest of the game. uh, Yeah. He'll make all the routine plays, but he's not going to improve things. Yeah, who would have thought, Chris, that losing Yu Chang to an injury uh, would have been such a significant setback for this team when the year started? He was the 26th guy on the roster. He was the 13th position player. There was some question about whether he was going to make the opening day roster. But the fact is that when he played shortstop regularly for about two weeks back in April, when the Red Sox were first concerned about the sloppy play of Kike Hernandez at short, he really solidified the position. And even if you don't get a lot of offense, and let's face it, you're not going to, he may occasionally pop one out. Uh, He has surprising power at times, but you need someone to make the routine plays and also to take some hits away occasionally. We know that Hernandez doesn't have great range. Chang has the ability to go behind the bag, go into the hole and make plays. And he has the ability to make double plays, which the Red Sox are not getting. Earlier in the week, we did a little research. I think four teams had fewer double plays than the Red Sox did at that point. And because nearly every double play turned involves the shortstop, then you have to look at Hernandez for being a significant issue in that problem. Yeah, it is. I mean, and obviously, you know, this is an issue that's persisted throughout the season, I think. As they get bodies back, it's going to be easier. And, and when Trevor Story comes back, it's going to be something that's going to be figured out. He's going to be the shortstop. You know, at that point, you know, maybe there's a trade deadline addition at second. Who knows how it's all going to figure? They're going to figure it all out. But you know, they have question marks, and as a team, you know, I think and a point that I made to Alex Cora um, the other day and, and asked him about in one of the pregame sessions was. This has been a focus for the Red Sox to be really good defensively in the last couple of years, right? Like they made that ill-fated Jackie Bradley Hunter Renfro trade to get better defensively. They wanted to add people, a big part of Trevor, the allure of Trevor's story and making him the guy was, you know, defense. And we see the labs in spring training. We see all the drills every morning and how much they spend on it and PFPs in the afternoons at Fenway and all these types of things. And like, it's an organizational focus. The coaches are focused on it from, Cora, who is an infielder, who has he as he points out, he played 14 years in the majors as a utility guy a lot, or mainly because he was so good defensively. He, he barely ever hit. You know, Carlos Fables, Andy Fox, Ramon Vasquez. They have a lot of you know former infielders on the staff trying to get this right. It's not for lack of effort. It's just as Cora put it, lack of execution. 
Yeah, we, I mean, we saw them taking early infield and working on a number of things uh, during this homestand. They had both Devers um, and Hernandez uh, taking ground balls, working on fundamentals. So it isn't for a lack of effort. And as you correctly noted, it was a huge emphasis in spring training to convert balls into outs and to be more efficient defensively. And it's a reminder that while you can get better and then you see the value of somebody like Ron Washington can have on an infield when he works with guys, uh, it, it, it isn't just about putting the time in and getting the work. You could improve, but you're un unlikely to make, you know, uh, sub-average defenders um, adequate or better even with extra work. And something that's very interesting to me is I, I forget which point of camp it was, but we were both there in one of Alex Cora's sessions. Someone said, to this point in camp, a month in, whatever, what has been the biggest takeaway for you? And he said, oh, how good Kike looks at short. And so, like, they were, they've been fooled for a while here. Yeah, I, I don't know if that was hoping against hope or trying to talk him up or what that was, but, um, you know, whether it would be in spring training or the first – two plus months of the season that has not manifested itself on the field as evidenced by the error total and the issue that we're talking about who can they get to fill in there before and until uh, Trevor's story gets back in the lineup. Yep. Definitely questions for the Red Sox to answer uh, in the next couple of weeks, months ahead. We'll do our two final segments. Uh, we don't have, we've been working on names for them with our producer, Joey Alberti. They are not, Completely fleshed out yet. It was on the list of things to do this week. It just, you know, didn't get there. Um, I'm going to put you, we'll, we call this the Sean on the spot segment. We talked about adding this last time where I give you a name out of the blue and you give me your, the number one top story that comes to mind. Um, I'm going to give you the name and then you can tell everybody why, why we're giving this name because it's, it's very specific a guy you covered for a long time who the Red Sox will see this week in Cleveland, former Red Sox manager, current Guardians manager, Terry Francona. Yeah, Francona, I, I think, can rightfully claim to be one of the best managers in Red Sox history. And even some, what, 12 years after he left, uh, there's still a great deal of affection and reverence for him uh, among the fan base, among players who are here, among people who worked at Fenway. Uh, seems incredible that it's been a dozen years since he's been gone and that he's actually been in Cleveland longer than he was managing the Red Sox, but that's the case. Um, I'm going to give you two remembrances of Tito, but I could probably give you 20. Um, the first is prior to game four of the 2004 World Series. And if you know anything about Terry Francona, uh, he is the ultimate baseball rat and lifer. He's a guy that if he's not at the ballpark at noon for a seven o'clock game, he starts getting edgy because that's where he wants to be. He loves being in that environment. Uh, he wants to get to work. He wants to be in the clubhouse, whether it's playing cribbage with coaches or players or looking at video or just uh, talking to players, checking on them. Uh, injecting that human element into the job that he does so well. Um, but I remember, uh, and a little background, uh, in the postseason, when the team you cover, in this case for both Chris and I, the Red Sox obviously, is in the postseason, uh, everything is kind of run by Major League Baseball 
Uh, the manager has a mandatory pregame uh, media availability in the interview room, and that is open to anybody who's credentialed to cover. And they answer questions at the podium, at the mic, and it goes on for 10 or 15 minutes or so, and that's that. But for the reporters who cover that team all year, you also have an extra session where you go into the manager's office and get an extra 10 minutes because there are things that you need more than uh, reporters who don't cover that team all the time. So they give a little bit more time to the local beat writers. So on that day, prior to game four of the 2004 World Series in the old Bush Stadium, we went into the office and I have never seen Terry Francona more relaxed that day than I had in the two years that I had covered him up to that point, or actually first year, that was the first year he was there in 2004. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the subsequent seven or eight years that he was there. Uh, and that's when I knew um, that the Red Sox were not only going to win that World Series, but that they were likely going to do it in a sweep. And indeed, they did that night. He was uh, not fidgety. He was not nervous. He was not anxious. He was as relaxed as he could be in a baseball setting, the way you might expect him to be on March 17th prior to a spring training game. And that told me everything that I needed to know about where that team was mentally. If, if an anxious and nervous and, and fidgety guy like Terry Francona could be relaxed before a World Series game, I figured they had it in the bag and indeed they closed it out that night with a pretty one-sided win over St. Louis and snapped the 86 year championship drought. The other memory I have of Terry Francona is a little bit of his humanity. Uh, this was a few years later in Fort Myers when he had just worked out a, uh, a uh, contract extension uh, with Theo Epstein, then the general manager, and signed off on by ownership, of course. He was, I think, going into his option year or maybe his final guaranteed year and having led them to a World Series, taken them to the playoffs in 2005. They obviously wanted to retain him, so they had ripped up his old deal, given him a new one, tacked on some additional years and given me given him a pretty significant raise so I stuck my head in his office he told me that the deal was done uh, we were just kind of chatting and small talk and he said Sean I, I gotta get going and I said okay I'll, I'll see you tomorrow he said I have to go to the drugstore and get a card for Milsey uh, Milsey was of course his bench coach Brad Mills and perhaps his best friend in the game and he was, I don't know the size of it, I'm guessing it was significant, but the ink was barely dry on his contract extension. He was going to the drugstore to pick up a thank you card uh, for Brad Mills and was including a significant amount of his own money to Brad Mills as a thank you for all Brad Mills had done uh, throughout their long partnership in baseball, and in particular, what he had meant to Terry Francona as a manager of the Red Sox. And I just thought, you know, Tito's a little gruff at times. You see him spitting tobacco out. Um, he does not suffer fools gladly at times. But I thought that was a real 
uh, revealing look into his humanity. He had just, within the hour, agreed to a contract extension, and he couldn't wait to go get a card and stick a significant amount of money in it as a thank you to his bench coach for helping him and being such an instrumental force on the success of that team. So those are my two Terry Francona memories. And the reason we're talking about Terry Francona is he will be a guest on Fenway Rundown next Tuesday as the Red Sox travel to Cleveland and meet the Guardians and Terry Francona. So we look forward to that. And we'll leave it there. That is this week's Fenway Rundown. That's Sean McAdam. I'm Chris Cotillo. And again, Tito Francona will join us. We'll have more news on Chris Sale by then. But as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>